The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter was also standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, 
a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out to him again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let him know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. 
Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. I invite you to stand as you are comfortable. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I invite you to kneel as you are comfortable.
Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially since that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was a Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they lead, laid Jesus there. Please be seated. We read in two of the Gospels that at the end of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn, after which they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray, be betrayed, and be arrested. I wonder what hymn they sang after that last meal they shared together. Last night, at our Maundy Thursday service, we sang a hymn which speaks of the unfathomable love of Jesus who poured out his life on a cross out of love for you, me, and all creation. The hymn we sang last night begins by asking a question. What wondrous love is this? The author of the hymn is amazed at the incomprehensible love, the wondrous love, Jesus manifested utterly on the cross. Another Holy Week hymn from the 17th century starts off in a similar way. My song is love unknown, the hymn begins. The kind of love Jesus showed on the cross was hitherto unknown. And the author of the hymn sings of this mysterious, unfathomable, 
heretofore unknown love. In St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, we find what some scholars believe was an early Christian hymn that predated Paul's writings. That hymn begins, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That hymn in Paul's letter has been called the kenosis hymn after the Greek word for emptying. Commenting on that kenosis hymn, Episcopal priest Cynthia Bourgeau notes that in this beautiful hymn, Paul recognizes that Jesus had only one operational mode. Everything he did, he did by self-emptying. In whatever life circumstance, Jesus always responded with the same motion of self-emptying. From his conception and birth, throughout his ministry, until his death on the cross, Jesus was all about self-emptying. Do you remember that occasion when Jesus was in a crowd of people and a woman who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years touched his garment? In Mark's gospel, we read that the very moment the woman touched his robe, Jesus was immediately aware that power had gone out from him. The message translation reads that Jesus felt energy discharging from him. Was this not Jesus emptying himself into that woman, pouring out his life energy for the sake of another? And I have to believe that if energy was discharged from Jesus in this healing, then energy must have been discharged from him in every one of his healings and his miracles and teachings also. He was forever pouring life energy into others and the cross was but his final complete self-emptying. It is finished, Jesus says in his last words from the cross. As St. John wrote in last night's gospel, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Commenting on that same kenosis hymn from Paul's letter, Biblical scholar N.T. Wright notes, Christ's decision to become human and to go all the way along the road, yes, all the way to the cross, this decision was not a decision to stop being divine. It was a decision about what it really meant to be divine. As you look at the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross, the most powerful thought you should think is, this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love, 
Yes, says Paul, and that's the mind of Christ. Now, trying to preach on Good Friday is in some ways a fool's errand. There's so much meaning in this day that eludes words, so much mystery that can never be comprehended. So is there anything at all that we can say about the cross today that might help transform our minds into the mind of Christ, our lives into the life of Christ? I think there is. As N.T. Wright noted, as you look at the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross, the most important thought you should think is, this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love. Simply gazing on the cross and knowing that this is the nature of God can make all the difference in how we approach life and interact with one another and with our world. The universe was created in, is sustained by, and is moving toward self-giving, forgiving love. Therefore, we can risk being open to all of it. Our mistakes do not condemn us. We need not fear reality, for the God who is reality itself, the God revealed by the crucified Jesus, is a God of wondrous, self-emptying love. We can surrender our lives to this God because God has surrendered to us. Franciscan sister Ilia Delio writes, the surrender of God in the person of Jesus Christ is the great mystery of God. God does not hold back and wait until we get things right. Rather, God loves us where we are and as we are. In the incarnation, divine love has found us and has surrendered to us. It has handed itself over to us to do as we please. What do we do with this tremendous gift of divine love so freely given to us? Some of us are blind to this love, so we ignore it. Others do not believe that God surrenders completely in love with us and therefore reject it. Still others fear that a God of self-giving love could be weak, and so they question the divine love. But for those who breathe in the spirit of God, the surrender of God in love is the greatest act. Unquote. And here's the thing. In emptying himself completely on the cross, Jesus releases a mysterious power of cosmic proportion that begins to radiate out from him as he breathes out his last breath. Throughout John's gospel, we have repeatedly heard that Jesus' hour has not yet come. But then, shortly after his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, 
Jesus says, the hour has come. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What mysterious power is it that allows a seed that dies to come alive again and bear much fruit? It can seem miraculous even to those who may know all about the biology and biochemistry of seed germination. What mysterious power is it that brings Jesus from death to life and continues to spread resurrected life through self-emptying love even today. It defies analysis. The church down through the centuries has called it the Paschal Mystery. Dr. Bourgeau, in all her articulate brilliance, can only call it divine alchemy. It is what Aslan the Lion in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia calls a deeper magic which goes back before the dawn of time. When that deeper magic is engaged, Aslan explains, a mysterious power is released which makes death itself start working backwards. A mysterious power is released which makes death itself start working backwards. Whatever that deeper magic, that divine alchemy, that paschal mystery is, I am convinced that it emanates from a divine self-emptying. For this is the very nature and power of God. Jesus' cross reveals this deep magic most clearly in emptying himself even unto death on a cross, as Paul's hymn states, Jesus enters fully into the mystery of dying to live, revealing to us the way that we too can and must follow. In that paschal mystery of death turning to life, Jesus becomes the catalyst enabling God's alchemy to do its work in us and empowering us to sing God's song.